It's good to see everybody this morning. If you will, go ahead and take a copy of the Bible and uh, look with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's one, uh, a black hardback copy in the pages listening to your bulletin where to go. If you've got a phone or an iPad, go ahead and scroll away, find your place there in the book of Ephesians. Guess what? We're getting close to the end of the book of Ephesians. We're going to be um, about three more weeks wrapping up our study in Ephesians. We got this week and then I'm not preaching next week, but Pastor Darius Koto is. He's going to be preaching to us here in the English service. And then the next Sunday, we'll wrap up the book of Ephesians. And then we have one more sermon in the Ephesians series coming up at the end of August. And then in September, we're going to take a, uh, take a little short hiatus from a, a book series. And we're going to be working on uh, just a, a topic for about four weeks. And then on September the 30th, we're going to be launching into the book of Genesis, um, looking at Christ in the beginning and how from the very beginning, you know, everybody knows Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. Well, guess what? Christ was there. And we're going to see how from the beginning throughout the book of Genesis, we can trace the line of redemption in Christ Jesus all the way through as he carries us from creation to the cross. And so we're going to be doing that and that's going to carry us all the way through July of next year. So believe it or not, I've already got my sermons mapped out from now until July of next year, minus one or two right around Christmas. But here we are in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And if you found your place and you are able, I would like to invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God together this morning, picking up verses 10 through the first part of verse 18. And Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, against spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, take your stand. Therefore, stand with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take also the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request, stay alert. Let's pray together. Father, your word gives us such hope, such assurance, but also such warning. Warning about real life. Warning about who we inside this room are as people, as well as warning about who those who are not here, who are not with us, who are not part of your covenant family are as people. Because there is a schemer, there is an evil one, there is an enemy seeking to destroy that which you have made, seeking to cause those of us who know we are image bearers to not bear the image of the true and living God. So God, I ask this morning that we would stand firm, that we would take up the armor, that we would be ready for the true and real battle that is waging around us, whether we acknowledge it or not. Give us hope today, give us peace, but Lord, give us the assurance of your presence. Give us the assurance of your power because you are victorious. And we ask all this in the name of Christ, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So I want you to imagine with me for just one second that you are an 18-year-old male. So for all the females out there, I know that that's a little bit difficult because you've dealt with an 18-year-old male at some point in your life, most likely, and you know how 
We'll just leave it there. So you imagine you're an 18 year old male and you go to the military recruiting office and you go in and you sign up for the United States Marine Corps and they say, yes, we're going to take you and we're going to make you the Marine, the few, the proud, the Marines, and we're going to send you to Camp Lejeune over in South Carolina, just outside of Beaufort. I know people in Georgia look at it and think it's Beaufort, but it's Beaufort, Beaufort, Georgia, uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, and you're going to get there and you're going to show up for training on on day one. And what's going to happen is for the next 10 weeks of your life, you are going to hate your existence because their goal in the Marine Corps is to prepare you for the very chance, the very real possibility that you are deployed into real, true combat. Whether we are presently at war or not, the preparation is there because the battle could come and for the Marine Corps to send out their front lines ill-prepared would be devastating and catastrophic. So there you are, you're 18 years old. You're with bravado thinking, I'm going to be a Marine. I've met Marines, they're tough, I'm going to be tough. I've met Marines, they're, they're, they're intense, I'm going to be intense. I've met Marines, they're scared of nothing, I'm going to be scared of nothing. And you get to Camp Lejeune and you meet your first sergeant for the first time. And he says, welcome. We're glad you could book your stay here at Camp Lejeune. Let me escort you to your room. By the way, we will be polishing your boots. By the way, we're gonna give you a rifle, but you know, you can figure out how you wanna use it if you, if you like. Just take it up. You know what? Maybe you're against guns. That's okay. Just leave it in its case. We've got a safety on the trigger, so you'll be okay. So why don't you just go on and make yourself at home? And you know what? Tomorrow morning, we're going to get started with some exercises, probably around 5.30 in the morning. You know, just be there if you want. You know, we, we want to encourage you to eat well and take care of your body. So, so just, just be there if you want. And you know, oh, well, I could get used to this. But the next morning at 5.30, you're not awakened to the optional bell of an optional exercise at an optional training. Instead, you are awakened by the call of the same first sergeant that says, we've been attacked and I'm sending you into the war now. You're not ready, are you? You're not looking forward to that, are you? Then why do we approach church that way? See, we approach church and life in Christ in the same manner as though everything that we do is just some sort of option for us to float through without realizing that there is a true and real war that's already happening around us and there is a real battle that we must be prepared to enter. Now. You, you thought that struggle, that fight you had with your spouse, you thought that, that frustration with your kid, you thought that your, the, the devastation or the, 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 the letdown of, of whatever happened at work or with your health was just surface? It's because underneath and behind the scenes, there's something living and real and true that is attacking and seeking to destroy and seeking to distract and seeking to dissuade because it's seeking to pull those of us who were made in the image of our creator away from his purpose for us. This is ultimately why Ephesians is so important. This is ultimately why we have to look into his word to see what's happening in our world and understand it by the terms that he has produced and given to us. Remember, we are the adopted children before the foundation of the world. He sought to bless us, how? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How did he do it? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, and by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, we were adopted into his family. We were called his own. For what purpose? So that we could know that as children of God, we've been given victory. So we get to chapter four and we find that wonderful verse, that wonderful phrase from the book of Psalms where he ascended on high and he gave uh, the captives freedom and he bestowed gifts upon all of of us. This is a victory hymn. This is a victory sermon. This is a big victory message, but you don't get victory without the battle. And some of you are in the battle right now. 
Some of you are in the throes of battle right now. You're, you're, you're dreading going home because there's the battle waiting for you. You're, you're wanting to stay at church all day today. Pour your heart before God because as long as you're here, you don't have to be there. If you don't have to be there, you don't have to face it. Some of you are dreading tomorrow morning because some of you got to go back to work. Some of you got to go back to school. And some of you got to work with the kids coming back to school. There's a battle out there. Abraham Lincoln said, if you give me four hours to cut down a tree, I'll spend the first three hours sharpening my axe. What do you think about that? If you give me four hours to cut down a tree, I'm going to spend the first three sharpening my axe. Church, today is the time where we come to sharpen our axe because there is a true battle, something waging in front of us. And let's look together in this passage in the book of Ephesians to find out what do we do with this victory that he's already won, this victory that he already has, even though we're still in the throes of battle today, he says. Finally, final, final exhortation. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. This is a call for us to prepare ourselves for battle. Preparation, preparing ourselves for battle. Benjamin Franklin said, if you fail to prepare, you must prepare to fail. If you fail to prepare, you must prepare to fail. We will fail in our endeavors at walking with Christ if we do not prepare ourselves for the life that he has called us to live. We will fail in spiritual warfare and spiritual battle if we do not prepare ourselves with the tools and the equipment that he has given us that provide the victory that he has already won. And here he goes. Finally, and preparing yourself for battle, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. In doing so, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. What he shows us here is that our first and foremost uh, responsibility and preparation is for us to locate our strength. Notice he doesn't say what the pop culture and Oprah Winfrey is going to tell you is to look deep inside yourself and believe in yourself and deep down inside, somewhere in here, you're going to find all the strength and all the happiness and all the blessing and everything you need. It's all already within you. It's contrary to the gospel. Yes, I said it. American culture is contrary to the gospel. It's not just a matter of believing in yourself, it's believing in what Christ has done in you so that you can stand on his strength and on his power in order to get there. Kind of makes me think of that Marine Corps analogy. You know, let's just say, completely hypothetical, let's just say that the Ayatollah Khomeini, who formerly reigned in Iran, had given me a call in 1992. In 1992, I was in between uh, second and third grade. Let's just say Ayatollah Khomeini called me and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm thinking about planning an attack on America. And, and in and thinking about this, he, here, here's what I'm rolling over in my mind. If they send the Marine Corps after me, I will lose. But if you could get some of your friends from Lynn Lastinger Elementary School to bring your BB guns, I think we've got a good chance. It's not going to happen that way, is it? it? Most people leave us alone because they're afraid of our military. Most nations don't mess with us because they're afraid of what we as a nation can impose on them and taxes and tariffs and in just pure brute strength. I'm not going to go over here to Bear Creek Middle School and ask their football team to go up against the University of Georgia this football season. You're just not going to do it. I'm not going to roll down here to the Fairburn Recreation Department, look at their peewee baseball league and say, hey, you've got some pretty good t-ballers out there. They want to hit the field and play against the Braves? Not just a little 
pitch and catch, but a real competition, it's not, it doesn't go. But every day, we try to address spiritual problems with physical strength. We, we try to address what's going on in the spiritual realm around us by what we can control and what we hold. And God says here to the Apostle Paul, hey, you've got to know where your strength lies and it's not in you. He says, you'd be strengthened by the Lord. I love that he says, be strengthened. This is a, this is a passive word that he uses here. He gives two commands. He gives, he gives two, uh, two imperatives, two commands for us in this. The first one is passive. It says, be strengthened. Allow yourself to have the strength of God applied to you because his strength, look at the why, because it is vast. It is immeasurable. This is the same God who over in chapter one, this is the same one who has given us forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. There's a big difference there. We can be gracious with one another to a certain extent, but ultimately we run out of grace with somebody. We talked about that in the youth group this morning, about how we, how we run into conflict. And a lot of times, you know, it's the little things that start piling up and piling up and piling up and then finally it just gets too much to bear and it becomes a huge explosion. We do that in our marriages. We do that in our work relationships. We do that everywhere. It's the little things that add up and add up and make something so volatile because we run out of grace. We run out of mercy, but God doesn't. And not only does he not run out of grace and mercy, he also doesn't run out of strength. Did you ever watch Rocky movies? I used to love watching Rocky movies. They're all the same. Rocky is getting beat to a pulp for like the first 14 rounds and he's barely able to stand up. He's barely able to, to move. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere in that last round, he's able to mount up with this massive amount of strength and deliver the victory. It's kind of like Hulk Hogan, back, Hulk Hogan back in the old wrestling days. If anybody watched wrestling back in the day knows what Hulk Hogan's gonna do. He's gonna be getting thrown around and thrown around the ring and beaten up and pushed around and all of a sudden out of nowhere it's just it's it just hits him out of nowhere he's like and he wins every time because it's scripted your conflict is scripted for the exact same type of victory if you will find your strength in God and in his vast strength versus what you can bring to the table more of him is less of you. John the baptizer says in the book of John chapter three, verse 30, he says, Jesus, that's the one. He must increase, I've got to decrease. Most of the time, we don't rely on the strength of God because we've got this, I got it complex. But Paul says there's a real battle brewing out there. There's something going on and you've got to understand that your strength is in the Lord. And not only do you find your strength there, I want you to look at the, the active command he gives. Verse 11, he says, so when you are being strengthened by the Lord, you will put on the full armor of God. That is to allow him to strengthen you, allow him to supply what you need, but then you do something with it. You do something with it. All the kids are going back to school tomorrow, right? Well, some of you started last week. Got a couple of landmark families starting on Wednesday. But sometime in the next few days, all of our students will be back in school. Now, what happens in school is you get a test at some point during the school year. A lot of you get a lot of tests during the school year. So let's just imagine that you're in week three of school and you're about to give, get a spelling test. Now, your teacher, if you are a student, has supplied you on Monday morning with a list of 15 spelling words. And on that list of 15 spelling words, they are age and grade appropriate. They're not going to be asking first graders to spell onomatopoeia or encyclopedia, and they're not going to be asking 12th graders to spell it. They're just not going to be doing that. They're going to be age and grade appropriate. So here you are. It's the last day of the week. It's your spelling test. It's time. Your teacher says, come on out. And she has given you not only your list, but she has given you three or four assignments that week. Write all your words five times. Write all your words in a sentence. Do this. Do that. Write all these words. And you get there and you've done none of your assignments and it's time for the test and you're going to fail. Because while she gave you what you needed, you did nothing with it. 
While God has given us what we need in locating our strength in his vast strength, we've done nothing with it. We've done nothing with it. He says there, put on the full armor of God. Why? That you can stand. So, so that you can stand. Between verses 10 and 14, he uses a phrase for stand four times because the Christian walk, the Christian life, is a call to stand where he has placed us in order to demonstrate what his power will do in us and how we overcome what is out there because he already won. Period. He's not winning. He's not winning. He has already won. There's a difference between winning and having already won. You can be winning for four quarters of a football game and on a Hail Mary pass with one second left, lose the game. Everybody has seen that happen to their team at some point or another. Maybe you don't like football. You've gone to the bottom of the ninth. You've got a three-run lead and a two-out, two-strike grand slam loses the game for your team. Maybe you don't like baseball. Maybe you like basketball. You can be winning the entire game and you're down by, you're up by two with 0.1 second and that three-point shot from three-fourths of the field away, three-fourths of the court away hits nothing but net and you lose the game. There's a difference between losing, winning and having won. God is not winning. Jesus is not winning. He has already won. That is why we need his strength and that is why we put on the armor and that is why we stand because we stand on a victory that has already been made. But you know what's important about a battle? Knowing who you're fighting against. Actually identifying the enemy. See, the difference between physical militaristic combat and spiritual warfare is the enemy is a little bit blurred. The enemy is pretty good at camouflaging himself. I can remember during Desert Storm in the early 1990s when the United States military shifted their camouflage. It used to be that old school military camouflage. You just go to any, uh, any military surplus store and just get it. It was green and black and brown and it was weird splotches all over. But because they were fighting in the desert and because they needed a different type of canopy and it wasn't jungle oriented, they kind of, they kind of digitized and shift the, the, the pattern of the camouflage so that from the air, things looked a little bit more like a, a desert plain. Because we learned from the Redcoats in this Revolutionary War that marching through the woods wearing bright red jackets makes you an easy target upon which to be fired. It's not always as easily identified. You know your enemies in sports because they're wearing a different colored jersey. You know your enemies in business because they are wearing a different type of brand. You know your enemies in the world on the big market level because of the differences. But when it comes to the battle that Paul is addressing here, sometimes we start launching bombs at the things that are not actually our enemy. Notice he says there in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That fight you had with your spouse, that disagreement you had with a coworker, that frustration you had with someone uh, down the street, with a neighbor, with a classmate. What the Bible teaches us is that is the physical manifestation of something even bigger because the struggle is not with that person. The struggle, notice he says there, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness and against evil. See, you and I fall victim so often to friendly fire. And you and I are guilty of friendly fire. Shooting our wounded. Engaging in the person and not in what's behind. See, he, he's careful to identify who our true enemy is because he's already shown us over earlier in the passage of scripture, over earlier in uh, chapter two, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. See, he's locating our enemy as being Satan and what he is all after in dissuading us and pulling us away from following Christ. And the easiest way he did we're Baptists, so let's just be real about it. Let's own it. 
I mean, we can't deny it's on our sign out here. First Baptist, not, not even the second ones here. We were the first ones here. So, I mean, we just, we just got to own it. That's who we are. Wake Forest University mascot is the demon, are the demon deacons. Wake Forest is a Baptist university. I went to Mercer University down to Macon. We're the Bears now. You know who we used to be? The battling Baptists. Wonder how hard they had to search for that mascot. They just showed up at any church on any Wednesday or Sunday night and they had their battling Baptists. James says in James chapter one, what's the cause of conflict and, 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 and struggle and strife and arguments among you? Is it not your own selfish desires? See, what Satan does, he says, you know what? I don't really have to turn you against God. Let me just turn you against one another so that you can deny the power of the gospel and the family unity that he has brought among you. Let's just distract you from serving God by allowing you to attack one another. And he just sits back and he watches. That's what he does. It's the same thing. He's, Satan is the biggest cover artist in the world. You know what a cover artist is? They don't have any original songs. They just do somebody else's songs over and over and over and over again. He's got one song and he's been singing it for thousands of years and we're still thinking, look at this good new hit. What was the first song? God doesn't really love you, doesn't really care about you. So he produced enmity between Adam and Eve and distrust between them and God. And then he stood back and just watched it all fall apart. He, he just watched it all fall apart because what ended up happening? God came to them. Did you eat of the apple I told you not to eat of? Adam, <laughs> not me, her. Let me deflect to someone else. It's not my problem, it's their problem. Oh, Eve, what, what in the world? Did I not give you a good enough husband? Did I not give you enough, a, a strong enough rudder? Was I not a good enough God to give you? No, 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 no. It was the serpent. See, when we fail to identify our enemy, we make everyone our enemy and we start pointing the fingers and he says, you're not supposed to stand against one another. You're supposed to stand against this, this wily devil, this schemer, this power, this prince that is adamantly opposed to anything that resembles godliness. He's a schemer. He, he, he plots and he plans and he slithers in and finds new ways to disrupt. And if he can do it in your marriage, he's going to do it in your marriage. That's why we're doing a marriage retreat in a few weeks so that we can strengthen the core of our family in that godly marriage. If he can do it between you and your kids, he's going to do it between you and your kids because he knows if he can crumble your household, he can help you crumble society because we impact society by impacting our homes first. But then he goes on and he takes us from preparing for battle and shows us how to arm for battle. Because he told us the command, put on the full armor of God. Not just pieces of it, all of it. Notice what he says there in verse 13. For this reason, because you're supposed to be standing against this force of evil, for this reason, take up the full armor of God. Folks, we've got to see that full coverage is important. Full coverage is necessary. Last fall, we went on a men's retreat up to Snowbird and I played paintball. And if you, if you play paintball, um, they, they give you one piece of armor and one piece of armor only and that's to protect your face. And, and they tell you, once we get out here on the field, don't lift your face mask because I don't know if you've ever played paintball or not, but it hurts. It, it hurts pretty bad. You, you come away with bruises and welts and everything. And, and there were a couple of guys that were walking around after playing some paintball on the men's retreat that, you know, you could tell they're wearing a short sleeve shirt. They've been on the paintball field. They got bruises all up and down their arms. Well, I was on the paintball field. And I didn't know, but there was a guy on the other team. See, paintball, what you play is just team versus team. But you're not wearing uniforms or jerseys, so you're just, man, man, you hope that you're not shooting somebody on your team. Confession, I accidentally shot somebody on my team. I turned my face a little bit, and I caught one right there. See, if I'd been looking straight on, the face mask comes down just a little bit, but I turned just a little bit. Got it right there. You remember the story of Achilles? 
Achilles, who was going to be given immortality and everything, and he was dipped there into the river, but where he was held by his ankle on that one side wasn't covered. And because it wasn't covered, all it took for the fatal blow for him was a cut right across the back of the hill. We call it an Achilles heel right now. That seemingly, uh, that seemingly lack of, that, that seemingly non-important part that can be the devastating blow. See, full coverage is important because Satan is going to launch any attack on you that he possibly can. We misunderstand Satan so many times. We think of him as just like this adversary of God, but what he is is the most intelligent field general the world has ever known. He has a file and he has done the recon work and he knows exactly where to trip you, when to trip you, how to trip you. And he's got, an, he's got this militia all over the planet that reports back to him, but he's not all powerful. We serve the all-powerful one who has given us victory. So we've got to find this full coverage because he says, look here, for this reason, take up the full armor so that you may be able. You're not going to be able to resist the schemes of Satan if you're only partly covered. Period. Let's walk through the armor. It says there in verse 14. Having prepared everything to take your stand, Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. This is a gird yourself with truth. Now I want you to think about a police officer right now. Or think about a construction worker. There's a belt placed around here. Now the importance of that belt comes to light when we see the functionality of the belt. Now, I know I could put this really cool picture up here on the screen for you of a, of a fully clad Roman soldier ready to go with his full armor. And, and yeah, that, that's cool. That's the picture that Paul would have had in mind. But we don't fight like Romans. There's a lot of aspects of spiritual warfare that's like a Roman soldier. But what do you think about that belt? That belt, if you go to the police station over here and just ask them to see the belt, they're going to show you the belt. And on that belt, it's not just, see, I'm wearing a belt right now. And it holds my pants up. Y'all should be glad for that. I'm glad for that. Keeps them right here in place where they're supposed to be. But the function of that belt is just to go through the belt loops and complete the outfit and kind of keep my pants up. Truth be known, if I wasn't wearing this belt, these pants would still stay up because they fit the way they're supposed to. But a police officer's belt has tools on it. Man, you're going to find some mace. You're going to find a some handcuffs, some of them's going to have the billy club, someone's going to have a firearm, they're going to have a couple of different clips over here for extra firearms. I want you to see the functionality here. What God is showing us is that if we want to stand strong, if we want to gird ourselves, it has to be with truth because our number one tool in any kind of spiritual battle is the truth of God in us. And that truth is that we have been adopted by the most high God because of his purpose, because of his glory, to be his people in this planet, whether we're in school, out of school, or thinking about school, no matter where we are on the spectrum of life, we are there as his people, as sheep of his pasture, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation to demonstrate the truth of what he's made us. It doesn't matter how good you are with a sword if you're not girded with the right truth to maintain it. The other part of this whole thing with the belt is this belt was a little bit bigger. So I'm going to go away from the police belt to the actual what the Romans had. See, we call this the core, right? If you go and start talking to, if you go and start talking to military folks or, or like, I mean, watch like Ultimate Fighter Championship sometime. They have a strong core. That means all of this area right around here is muscular and sturdy and strong. It's kind of like wearing one of those back support if you're going to do some heavy lifting. This is a belt that supports your core, which carries us to why we must be girded with truth. The core of who we are is guided by the truth of God. He says there, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. And then he goes on to what we call the breastplate of righteousness. He says there, in verse 14, with righteousness like armor on your chest. Of all the pieces of the armor of God, I want you to know this one's my favorite. This one is my favorite because this is a big old piece of armor that goes right. It's like a bulletproof vest, like a Kevlar vest 
Or, or like if you look at a football player with shoulder pads on, that doesn't just cover the shoulders, it has that padding and everything that kind of comes over and protects this upper area of the rib cage. You know why that's important? You don't want to get punctured in the ribs. You don't want to get punctured in the heart. But he calls this the breast piece of righteousness, I believe, for a specific purpose. Notice the center of what it's covering. It's covering your heart. You want to stand in spiritual battle. You want to stand in spiritual warfare. You will not do it without the righteousness of Christ in your heart. You will not do it without the righteousness of Christ applied to your heart. And we say we center on the heart. That's the center of our emotions. But God said, I'm taking that heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. One where my spirit can reside. One where I will come and I will make you new. And that is the mark of being a follower of Christ is that his righteousness reigns in your heart. That's where Satan's going to try to pierce and attack most often. See, I love it. I love it because the righteousness of Christ in my heart recognizes my sin and my need for something greater than me to actually save me. This isn't just life or death in the battle, in, in the moment of battle. This is eternal life in the balance in Christ. Protect your heart with the righteousness of Christ. Jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. He attacks your heart and he plants the seed of unrighteousness because you haven't protected your heart with the righteousness and it's going to come out. You might hide it. You might be really good at hiding it. You might be extremely great at hiding it. But it's going to come out. Protect your heart with the righteousness of Christ. He goes on and says, also there, make sure that your shoes, your feet are sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. I thought about wearing flip-flops this morning. I love wearing flip-flops. I hate wearing socks and shoes. My feet get hot. I hate it. I'm just not comfortable. I love wearing flip-flops. I can't wait for like late February, early March to get here when it's finally, see, see we're in Georgia, back in Georgia again. So it's back in the 70s by the time you get to the first part of March, you can start wearing flip-flops again, you know? When it's in the 60s, it's a little bit too cool for flip-flops. Your toes get a little bit cold. But I don't, I don't have pretty feet. My, my toes look, man, they're, they're crooked a little bit. And, and, and by a little bit, I mean, they're crooked. Um, but I love wearing flip-flops. But, but Jesus isn't talking about us wearing flip-flops. He's not talking about sandals like what you can go down here to, to, to Belk or, or to, to Payless or somewhere to buy. He's not talking about something that's trendy and nice. This is, has, for the Roman soldier, the sandal had something like a cleat on the bottom of it because it shored up the, the footing. Remember, all of this is pointing us and propelling us towards standing in victory. So what he's showing us is that we are digging in and we are standing ready because we have some traction. See, in football, you go up offensive line versus defensive line. And the purpose of the defensive line is to push the offensive line back to put pressure on the quarterback so that he'll make a bad decision with the ball, that they can sack the quarterback, or that they can get to the running back who's running. Now, the purpose of the offensive line is to push the defensive line back and make sure that the quarterback has an opportunity to throw the pass or to open up a hole in the defensive line for the running back to run right through and get the touchdown, get down the first down, move down the field some way. Now, if you put one side of the ball, if you put the defensive line in tennis shoes and the offensive line in a set of, in a, in a set of nice cleats, what's going to happen is the offensive line is going to be able to dig their feet in, dig their toes in, and push back while the defensive line slides because they can't grip. See, we are sandaled with peace and that peace of the gospel gives us the peace of the righteousness of Christ that's already been applied to our heart because we are girded in truth in order to stand firm on what we believe, why we believe it, and who God has made us to be because of his work in us in Christ Jesus. We avoid slippery slopes that way. We avoid compromising immorality because we have dug in on what truly matters. Notice what he says truly matters to dig in. The gospel of peace. Not politics. Not race. Not economics. Not sports. Not fashion. Not friendships. The gospel. And because you have dug in 
And, and, and I want our young people to catch on to this because our young people are always in the throes of, of compromising in this because of the push and the pull of, of just being a teenager, of being a young person in, in, in society and, and craving friendships and craving popularity and acceptance. If you dig in because of the gospel and the cleats are already in the ground because of the gospel, because of the truth, because of the righteousness of Christ, you are now in a position to demonstrate what the gospel will actually accomplish. And if you learn this at an early age, it alleviates so much of the drama of growing older and living in a world that seems to ever slide against it. It keeps the compromise at bay. See, this is full coverage, right? It's not just, well, I got truth. I got a Bible in my hand. It's not, well, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was four years old, so I'm okay. I've got that righteousness. This is head to toe. And he goes on. He says, not just that, but also your shield of faith. Notice with me, he says, your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace in every situation take up the shield of faith. Now, the Roman soldiers had a couple of different shields that they would use. They had one that was kind of like a trash can lid for hand-to-hand combat. And that was one that if you were out there, you could maneuver with it, you could block with it, and you still had your sword hand free to fight. But the one that I believe Paul is picturing here was kind of like a big old four foot tall uh, piece of uh, wood covered with metal, covered with leather. And the beauty of that was you could put it link to link, side by side with other soldiers, and you've kind of got this formidable wall that you can push forward. But it was braced in the back with a piece that went this way and a piece that went that way. What does that look like to you? A cross. Absolutely. Because I want you to see what Paul is demonstrating for us as you link with brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not a one-on-one thing. This is an us as followers of Christ against the forces of evil. And we don't leave someone behind. We walk with them and we shield for them when they can't shield for themselves. But it's always by faith as we stand. I want you to picture this with me. You're standing there. You've got your feet dug in, dug in, dug in well because of your sandaled feet and the gospel of peace. Your heart is protected. You've got truth around you but when the battle comes you are standing there with right in front of you the cross of Jesus Christ if you're not shielding by the cross of Jesus Christ and pushing forward even when you don't think you have the strength to your faith in Christ Jesus will push forward for you because you have dug in in who he has called you to be it's full coverage but notice what he says about this he says take the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one I love this image that's why I believe he's got the big shield pictured here because a lot of times what would happen is if you were a little bit further off see now we have artillery cannons so we can like shoot something like a mile away or whatever back in those days they didn't have artillery cannons they hadn't even developed the the trebuchet or the catapult yet but they had figured out if I could put a flaming uh, ball on the end of this arrow and shoot it it's going to be more damage from further away than just shooting an arrow on its own but you've got that shield notice it can extinguish the flame so that piercing of Satan is going to burn And when it's burned, starts, it's going to distract. And when the distraction happens, the compromise comes because you are no longer focused on the goal. You're focused on what's happened. See, this shield of faith focuses on what he's done. And he will distinguish, he will extinguish the flame. He will block as you stand in the shadow of the cross. He takes us on to the helmet of salvation and says there, Verse 16, or verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. This is a direct image of, Psalm, of Isaiah chapter 59 where this, he reads this. He says, the Lord saw that there was no justice and he was offended, but he saw that there was no man and he was amazed that there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation and his own righteousness supported him. He put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. See, Satan is gonna try to get to your heart, but it's already covered by the righteousness of Christ, so he's gonna attack the mind. He's going to come and wage war on the brain, on the mind. And if your head, if your brain is protected by the salvation that God alone has offered, you have a first line of defense, a good solid helmet of the salvation that he has offered that will be your protection because he can't get this. 
So he fights here. Worry, fear, anxiety, doubt, depression. I mean, th th think about it. Doubt was the very first thing that caused Eve to eat the apple. Hey, God doesn't really love you. He doesn't want you to be happy. He thinks that you're just going to be like him. And so Eve's thought was, well, I mean, that apple does look pretty good. That piece of fruit does look pretty good. So why wouldn't God want me to have it? Doubting the goodness of God is the first step towards compromising. And so that's why we need the helmet as we're behind the shield, dug in with the righteousness of Christ and the truth of who we are, girding our very existence. And these are all defense mechanisms. Everything he's listed so far is how we defend ourselves, how we protect ourselves. He only gives us, at this point, a weapon. And notice he says, not just the helmet of salvation, but take also the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What Paul's doing is calling us to do battle the way Jesus did battle. Three times he was tempted, it says in the book of Matthew, there in the wilderness. The first was with hunger, the second was with power, and the third was with, with uh, excuse me, the second was, uh, was with authority, and the third was with power. And all three times, Jesus didn't just say, well, Satan, remember, I'm, I'm Jesus, I'm the son of God, I'm better than you. He took him to the word of God. But in order to take your battle to the word of God, you gotta know the word of God. To take the Bible to your battle means that you have the Bible already in your heart and in your mind and in your word, that it's already the tool that's in the belt of truth. See, that sword's not gonna do any good if it's not already attached. That police officer, if he needs to use his firearm, is not gonna do any good if he left it at home. If he showed up without it. If he hadn't spent time at the gun range. You know how many hours... How many hours of training Roman soldiers would go through in hand-to-hand -hand sword combat? It wasn't a, well, here's your sword. Go and swing it a few times. You'll be all right. It's not like playing Fruit Ninja on your phone or iPad. Nothing like that. This is real combat. And so we get into the battle and we lose because we have not taken the time to prepare. Remember, either fail to prepare means that you're going to prepare to fail. If you're given four hours to chop down a tree, spend the first three sharpening your axe. If you know there's a battle waging a war around you, know how to use the sword that God's given you. Church, hear me say this. Because I, I, I talk with people in the church. I talk with people out of the church. And, and they're trying hard to hold up that shield of faith but they're losing in the battle because they don't know the word of God. They've heard a couple of really cool church statements or read a couple of Christian t-shirts or got their WWJD bracelet on. But when it comes to the meat of scripture, when it comes to what sustains, when it comes to what is actually given to us as our weapon for combat, it's as useless as being over there. If this hour is the only hour that you have the word of God open in front of you for the week, you're failing in battle. I'm not saying that to, to, to condemn or to damn anyone. I'm saying that to call you to the reality of what God has placed each one of us in this world. We are warriors. We are doing battle against spiritual forces. And believe me, Satan knows that Bible more than most of us. I know he's got a better grasp on what it says than I do. The reason false teaching arises is because we don't know what true teaching shows. 
You don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying fake bills. You learn to spot counterfeit money by spending time with real dollar bills and learning their texture, their feel, their imprints and everything about them. You don't learn what's wrong in the world by spending time in the world. You learn what's wrong with the world by spending time in the word. And when we spend time in the word, we're prepared to stand, stand strong behind our faith and to know what God has called us to do. So he says there, take then at that point, the sword, your one weapon, your one line of true defense, the word of God. Don't leave it over there. And don't feel condemned by this either. Feel hopeful that there's victory ahead because he's already won. And finally, he says in verse 18, pray. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert. I end this with stay alert because I want you to think with me just one wonderful picture of scripture of how prayer and staying alert go hand in hand. You remember in the garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is in control of the entire situation. He told us that nobody's gonna take my life from me. I'm gonna lay it down. I'm gonna give it up. Because we're sinners, we needed someone that was righteous to give up their life for us, to shed their blood. So God's son, Jesus Christ, did that. But he took three guys with him, Peter, James, and John, into the garden to pray that night. And he made one request of them. Pray with me. I'm going to be right over here praying. Pray. He comes back to them a couple of times and they're asleep. And he asked the question, could you not just for an hour stay with me in prayer? Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. He goes and he prays and he comes back and they're asleep again. And because they're asleep, they're taken over by this mob, this angry mob that came led by Judas to betray Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, don't hear me say that had they been awake, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus was in control. The hour had come. He was going to be delivered. But they were not in prayer as God had asked them through Christ Jesus to be. And therefore, they had lost their alertness. They had fallen asleep. Don't drift into a spiritual sleep because the battle around you is too big. It's raging too, it's raging too violently and it will overtake you. But stay alert and seek the face of God in prayer so as you're standing behind your shield as you're digging your feet as you've got your sword prepared you see the will of God because you have connected to him in prayer as followers of Christ we pray in the spirit as followers of Christ we pray all times and as followers of Christ we pray in all things, stay alert. The battle's upon us.